politics, sports, movies. You are listening to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank. I'm the host of the show. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for checking the show out. If you're a return listener, thanks for coming back and continuing to listen. This podcast covers three specific topics, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode is dedicated to one of these topics. The show is found on the following podcasting apps, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. You can also always download episodes of the show from the website. That website is www.letmebendyourear.com. If you use the Google search engine on your laptop, you can also search for Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. An episode should pull up so you can listen directly from your laptop if you prefer to do so. You can email the show at bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. The show is on social media. The Twitter handle is at bendyourearpod. That is also the handle for Instagram. So today's show I'm excited about, I'm actually returning to a sports topic. It's been a very long time uh, since I've done one, so I'm excited about this show today. Uh, This show will be discussing one of the greatest defenses of all time that no one talks about. So I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. Uh, Again, if you want to email any questions about the show or thoughts about it, again, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to discuss one of the greatest defenses in the history of the NFL. When you hear the statement, what team comes to your mind first? I'll give you a couple of seconds. All right, I'm going to take a few guesses what popped into your head. The fearsome foursome of the Rams defense. The Dolphins no-name defense of the 1970s. The Steel Curtain defense of the 1970s Steelers. The Purple People Eaters, also of the 70s from the Minnesota Vikings the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens, or even the Legion of Boom of the Seattle Seahawks. All of them excellent choices. I will be talking about none of those today. I will be talking about one of the greatest defenses of all time that no one ever mentions. The 1997 through 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I'm sure most of you hearing this episode are going to go, yeah, I know the Bucks defense was pretty good. Uh, they were actually great for a while, but I never it doesn't ever pop in my head uh, as to them being one of the greatest of all time. This defense is without question one of the greatest defenses of all time. If this is true, then why don't more people dis- discuss the Buccaneers defense with the other great defenses of all time? I have a few thoughts as to why that is, but before I get into that, let's go back in time and see how the Buccaneers were built. Going back to the year 1995, Sam Weish is the coach. Rich McKay is the general manager. The Bucks were suffering through another losing season. The Bucks' last season in the playoffs was 1982, and they were regarded as the laughingstock of the NFL. Since the great coach John McKay retired, they had gone through Lehman Bennett, Richard Williamson, Ray Perkins, and now Sam Weish. These coaches had a combined record of 50 wins and 125 losses with no playoff appearances. Bill Parcells had famously backed out of coaching the Bucs in 1991, which would not be the first time he would leave the Bucs at the altar. They were the joke of the NFL, plain and simple. This is coming from me, a lifelong Bucs fan, but the truth is the truth. 
But in 1995, the seeds were planted to create an all-time great defense. It is said that a key, the key to a great defense is to have pieces in all three levels. The defensive line, linebackers, and the secondary, the safeties and corners. Two years earlier, 1993, the Buccaneers drafted safety John Lynch. At the time, this was no big deal, and his first two years with the Buccaneers were nothing special at all. The Stanford graduate's biggest distinction at that time was that he was drafted by the Florida Marlins baseball team as a pitcher, but chose instead to play football. He was the backup strong safety in the 1995 season under Sam Weish, and not even the most diehard Bucks fan could see what would come in the future for John Lynch. While the Bucks were losing on the field, it would turn out that they were winning in the draft room, and the 1995 draft would be the beginning of a turning point in the Buccaneers franchise. With the 12th pick in the draft, the Bucks selected Warren Sapp, the defensive tackle from the University of Miami. The Bucks were the recipient of some fortuitous negative rumors about Sapp, as it was reported that Sapp failed numerous drug tests, including both cocaine and marijuana. Sapp denied this allegation, but it dropped his position in the draft. Without this occurring, Sapp would not have been available at 12 when the Bucks picked him. I will discuss more about his Bucks career in a moment. The Bucks had another first round selection and selected Florida State linebacker Derek Brooks with the 28th pick. I distinctly remember at the time there being issues with the pick in the respect that they thought that they thought the Bucks reached to pick Brooks that high as he was thought to be what was called a tweener, which means that he was thought to be not too not to be big enough to handle the physical nature of the NFL. My thoughts at the time was all he did at US at FSU, excuse me, was make plays. And later, in reading Rich McKay's philosophy regarding drafting, he placed an emphasis on players that were impactful throughout their college careers, even more so than the so-called measurables. Being a resident of Florida at the time and watching FSU, I knew Derek Brooks was a great player, and I thought he would be a very good NFL player, but I did not envision what he would ultimately become. After the 1995 season, Coach Sam Weish was fired and the search for a new coach began. The Bucks were purchased by Malcolm Glazer from original owner Hugh Coverhouse in 1995, and this would be their first coaching search. After pursuing and being turned down by both Steve Spurrier and Jimmy Johnson, Rich McKay hired Minnesota defensive coordinator Tony Dungy, who was a disciple of Steelers coach Chuck Knoll, having both played and coached under Knoll. He had a great reputation as an excellent defensive coach, but his soft-spoken nature was an obstacle to him getting a head coaching job before being hired by the Buccaneers. Dungy brought along Monty Kiffin, and they ran a cover-two scheme that would become known as the Tampa Two. This defense was predicated on zone coverage and sound technique and sure tackling. Dungy took this defense directly from the Steelers' playbook that he had played and coached. Dungy recognized the talent that was already in the building in Sapp and Brooks, and due to the injury of a starter, he began to see what he had in John Lynch. I mentioned earlier that Lynch was drafted in 1993, but another move was made that I consider a franchise-changing move. And that move was the free agent acquisition of linebacker Hardy Nickerson from the Pittsburgh Steelers. This move was significant for two reasons. One, free agents hardly ever came to Tampa, and the few that did were overpaid, mediocre players that added nothing to the team. Hardy Nickerson was the shining exception. He was an excellent player just coming into his prime. The second 
was that in a nutshell, Hardy Nickerson did not tolerate any bullshit, meaning that if you were not playing with maximum effort, he would get in your face and he would let you know it. This brought an account- accountability to a defense that sorely needed it, and Nickerson was the unquestioned leader of the defense when Brooks and Sapp arrived. Hardy Nickerson's contribution to the turnaround of the Buccaneers cannot be overstated. The 1996 season ended with a 6-10 record, but with a strong second half led by the revamped defense, you could see the signs of greatness that was to come. The 1997 season brought a 10-6 record and the Bucs' first trip to the playoffs in 15 years and a first-round victory over the Detroit Lions. They took a step back in 1998, but the 1999 season would prove to the NFL that the Buccaneers' defense was not to be trifled with. The Bucs bounced back from that lackluster 1998 season to go 11-5 and and win the NFC Central title. They squeaked past the Washington Redskins 14-13 to to earn a spot in the NFC Championship game against the high-flying St. Louis Rams. If you were following the NFL in 1999, the St. Louis Rams were known as the greatest show on turf due to their almost unstoppable offense that could both run the ball with Marshall Falk and pass at will with quarterback Kurt Warner and wide receivers Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Also less talked about at the time was the Rams' very good defense led by Kevin Carter. Here are some of the Rams' statistics from that 1999 season. They led the NFL and the NFC in total yards per game at 400. They led the NFL and the NFC in passing yards at 272 per game. They led the NFL and the NFC in scoring at 32.9 points a game. They led the NFL and the NFC in rushing defense, allowing only 74 yards per game rushing. They led the NFL tied with Jacksonville and the NFC in sacks with 57. When the matchup was set between the Buccaneers and the Rams, no one gave the Bucs a chance in this game. No one was able to stop the Rams' defense. How would the Bucs do it? The game was in St. Louis. The Bucks barely got by the inferior Redskins. No one could have guessed this game would end up being a slugfest with hardly any offense. With the Buccaneer defense completely and utterly shutting down the Rams offense. Unfortunately, the Bucks offense could do nothing either. But that's a discussion for another show. The Bucks defense played brilliant, played a brilliant, dominant physical game, including intercepting Kurt Warner three times and delivering some punishing hits against the Rams offense. Though the Bucks lost the game 11 to 6, this game announced the arrival of one of the most dominant defenses in the NFL. As with the end of the 1995 season, the end of the 2001 season brought changes to the Buccaneers. After years of defensive dominance along with the offensive struggles, Tony Dungy was fired by the Glazers and a bizarre coaching search took place. The Glazers vetoed GM Rich McKay's choice of Baltimore defensive coordinator Marvin Lewis and ended up trading for Oakland Raiders coach John Gruden as they wanted to get better play from the offense. In an unusual move, Gruden agreed to keep the entire defensive staff headed by defensive coordinator Monty Kiffin. Also, I stated earlier, Bill Parcells previously turned the Bucks down in 1991. Ten years later, There was an agreement in place for Parcells to take the job before Dungy was fired and was all set to take the job, but then backed out at the last minute. This was the second time that Parcells turned the Buccaneers down. Gruden, the offensive wonder kid, as he became a head coach at 32 with the Raiders, presented a unique challenge to the Bucs defense. 
He said they were not producing enough points on defense and wanted them to score nine touchdowns in the 2002 season. This was Gruden's way of presenting a new challenge to a high-performing defense. It took a second Dwight Smith interception in Super Bowl 37 to make that lofty goal happen. The 2002 Bucks defense was ranked, was ranked number one in the NFL by allowing an average of only 12 points per game. They went 12-4 and four and crushed the San Francisco 49ers 31-6 to six and finally vanquished the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship. The team that knocked the Buccaneers out of the playoffs the previous two seasons. The game ended appropriately enough on an interception return for a touchdown by Rondé Barber. The pregame hype for Super Bowl 37 centered around two things. Gruden coaching against the team he left the season before and the number one ranked Raiders offense led by quarterback Rich Gannon going against the number one ranked Bucks defense. This was very reminiscent of the 1999 NFC Championship where the Bucks were not given a chance to stop the potent Rams offense. No matter how much people and pundits say defense wins championships, they always fall in love with the high-powered offense versus the stout defense. That love for offense turned out to be misguided. The Buccaneers' defense played dominant football in Super Bowl 37. They had five interceptions. They had five sacks. They held the Raiders to under 300 yards of total offense. The Bucs won their one and so far only Super Bowl by a score of 42-28. to 28. I'm now going to get into some of the reasons why I believe that 2002 Buccaneers defense is never mentioned as one of the greatest defenses of all time. First, the history of the Buccaneers franchise is frankly awful. They lost their first 26 games as a franchise, then almost made it to the Super Bowl, which was then followed by 15 years of being arguably one of the worst franchises in the NFL. Second, in the 2002 season, the story was how John Gruden was going to improve a Bucks offense that had struggled the previous few years, which led to Tony Dungy's firing and the Glazers' desire to bring in an offensive-minded coach. The dominant defense was almost an afterthought. Third, the Bucks Super Bowl was sandwiched between two wins by the New England Patriots and what was the beginning of their dynasty. The 2000 Ravens, who had won before the Patriots started their run, were winning at a time where a different team won every year, and thus more coverage and attention was paid to that great defense. The amount of great players on the Buccaneers' defense is unbelievable. Warren Sapp was named Defensive Player of the Year and is a member of the Hall of Fame. Derek Brooks, another Defensive Player of the Year, also in the Hall of Fame. John Lynch, who I mentioned earlier, one of the hardest hitters in the game. He knocked out his own brother-in-law in a game. He's on the Hall of Fame finalist list for the seventh consecutive year and hopefully will make it. Rondé Barber, the only cornerback in NFL history with 20 sacks and 20 interceptions. Here's hoping that he gets on the Hall of Fame ballot as well. Simeon Rice, the outstanding defensive end that the Buccaneers got from the Arizona Cardinals, was a dominant defensive end, creating some of the sack records that stood for a while and uh, helping Warren Sapp and that defensive line become dominant in that 2002 season. The Tampa 2 defense was copied throughout the league because of its success during the six-year reign of the Buccaneers defense. As a, li as a lifelong Buccaneers fan who remembered the orange crush defense in the 70s led by Hall of Fame defensive lineman Leroy Selman, taking the Bucs from an 0-26 start to the NFC Championship game in three years, the 1997 to 2002 Buccaneers defense was a return to that early glory and an escape 
from the 15-year abyss of losing and being the joke of the NFL. Anyone who follows the history of football knows the late 90s, early 2000s Buccaneer defense is one of the best of all time. While they may not pop into a lot of NFL fans' minds, their place in history is undisputable. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, please click subscribe on whatever podcasting app you're listening to this on right now. And you'll get new episodes direct to your phone when they become available. Again, this show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. If you're listening to the show on your laptop, you can also go to Google and type in Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast, and it should pull up uh, recent episodes, and you can get it there. You can also always download the show from this website directly. That website is www.letmebendyourear.com. If you could do a couple of things to help the show achieve a higher profile, it would be greatly appreciated. First off, if you're listening to the show, especially on Apple Podcasts, but you can do it on any podcasting app, please rate and review. Uh, the more ratings and reviews a show receives on that platform, the higher profile it gets in search results when people are seeking out new podcasts. So if you could do that, that would be greatly appreciated. If you'd rather not do that, the other way you could do it is if you're on social media, Twitter or Instagram, please share uh, the show, share comments about the show, uh, uh, recommend it to your friends. That would be uh, greatly appreciated as well. The handle for the show on Twitter is at Bend Your Ear Pod. You can also find the show on Instagram with the same handle at Bend Your Ear Pod. So if you could do that, that would be greatly appreciated. You can also email the show with any questions, comments, or your thoughts on the greatest defenses of all time. That email is Bend Your Ear Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Bend Your Ear Podcast at gmail.com. Again, I hope you enjoyed the show and continue to be a listener, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week.